Hello and welcome to Fantastic Plastics. My name is Chris Lamazny, and I'm joined by my co-host Austin Pelosi. Howdy. So each episode, we'll discuss a specific classic rock album and also go off on a tangent or two. Should be noted, though, before we get started, that we are by no means experts on the subject. We're just two friends who enjoy listening to and talking about music. We do do our research beforehand, but this will more or less be a series of casual conversations. If you like listening to us talk, we very much appreciate that, because not everyone does. So now without further ado, what do you say we get started, Austin? Sounds good to me. So I guess we should do the drum roll into the album of the week, correct? Roll that drum. Let's roll the drum. Album of the week is Freak Out by the Mothers of Invention, also uh, known as Frank Zappa. For anybody who doesn't know the Mothers, the Mothers of Invention were the band that Frank Zappa was in before he went solo. Uh, but this is pretty much his creation, and yeah, this is the very first album that Frank did with the Mothers. I have the uh, the list of other musicians that were with him on this variation of his posse. He had Jimmy Carl Black on percussions, drums, and vocals. He had Ray Collins on vocals, harmonica, cymbal, sound effects, tambourine, finger cymbals, Ray Estrada on bass, and Elliot Engber, alternate lead and rhythm guitar. What I love about Frank Zappa is that he always surrounded himself with very, very talented musicians, like the best of the best. He would do this thing where he wouldn't even allow the musicians that he had to drink or do any drugs because he really yeah because it would it would mess up his his vision like what well, he he, he had he, a, he wanted them to be that focused yes and he'd actually yeah he he'd fire them if he found out that they were actually doing drugs I, I I found that very interesting so yeah this is like I said the first album that Frank Zappa did what I found to be very interesting is that. Not only is this his first album, this is the very first double debut album. Like this this album is an hour long and it's like the very first album to be released as a double album and being a, a debut album. I, I didn't realize that. Also something, yeah, also something that I find very interesting. And I know how much you're going to hate me saying this. You're going to bring up the Beatles, aren't you? Oh, you know me so well. <laughs> I know how much you love the Beatles. I know that they're your favorite band in the entire world. Also, I know how much you know you, you want to go back in time and, and see them and start screaming at Shea Stadium. So that's why I I I think you're really going to appreciate this little tidbit of information. Paul McCartney from the Beatles. Like the, I don't know if you knew that Paul McCartney was was part of the Beatles. Part of the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this this dude from the Beatles, Paul McCartney, right? Just came out recently saying, well, there, there is, you know, for, for years there was a speculation and even, I think even Paul said that the inspiration for Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band was Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, which it may have had some aspects to it of appreciation, but he just recently said that it wasn't that album, it wasn't Pet Sounds, it was Freak Out by the Mother of Invention. And a lot of people will regard Sgt. Pepper as the first concept album, this album predates it by a year. Sgt. Pepper was 67, Freak Out was 1966, and it actually does have a concept to it. It's a string of songs that talk about basically the state of America at that point in time. You know, you had a lot of riots, you had a lot of race riots, you had like a lot of like different kinds of uh, music going on, talking about an education system. He kind of tackles a lot of different subjects in this one album. And I think he does a very good job with it because every single song is a little bit different than the others. Like he, he does have 
some serious songs in there, but also a very good amount of weird stuff. And I really like the weird stuff. He does these doo-wop-y kind of songs that's yeah. essentially just making fun of doo-wop. I, I, I love the fact that he just lampoons like so many different artists and like just the style parodies. And, and he like- does it he does it in almost as a serious artist does it in terms of like if you asked like you know how Queen was one of the bands that like they they made multiple genre musics they made you mm-hmm. know like crazy little thing called love where it's like a 1950s rockabilly type of beat and then you can look at you know like anything off of jazz where it's like it's it sounds like disco almost oh for sure yeah, uh, the, the fact that artists like that can just kind of adapt and change to, you know, and just, just do any kind of music they, that they want. That's the very interesting thing about Frank Zappa. He was able to do exactly that. If you look at his entire career from the release of Freak Out until The Yellow Shark, which is his last album that he released before he passed away. Now, there's a lot of like uh, posthumous, posthumously re- released material but I'm only talking about anything that he released as he, when he was alive. So anything from Freak Out to Yellow Shark, such a wide range of different genres. Not only does he do rock, but he does jazz. He does actual conducting. Like he actually, he, he conducted an album, like at least actually probably more than that. He has one from like 83 where he wrote like a symphony. He wrote like symphonies and it's it's just the strangest sounding thing you'll ever hear in your life. It's really not for everybody. Sometimes I'll play it for people and they just... Yeah, it's it's one of those things where if you listen to it one day, you might hate it. And then a little bit further down the road, you know, you might stumble into a drug and alcohol bush and, you know, end up really liking it. It really depends. But like you said, it is, I would categorize it as, I like to put it up there with like Piper at the Gates of Dawn by Pink Floyd, where it's like that weird 19, like late 60s sounds where it's... They're try still trying to figure out, you know, like psychedelic rock. They're, yeah, they're they're like finding themselves. They're trying to figure out exactly like what they want to do. And and when you listen to Freak Out, you know, it was released in '66. When you uh, listen to it, you don't think it's anything super special or anything. There's a couple, uh, you know, bands or albums that you might think of that do something similar to this, and they usually don't last long or don't end up blowing up as big as they they should, but. Frank Zappa had a tremendous career expanding from the 60s, basically until his his death in 93. He passed away like December of 93. He passed. Yeah. So uh, over like uh, around 30 years or so. Yeah. A uh, living career. Yeah. Um, I actually have to disagree with you. I think Freak Out was a pretty special thing, especially for its time, because it showed just how talented he really was while being like pretty much just a goofball. He was just being a, like, yeah, it's a, you, you, you described it perfectly. It's, it's, it's goofy, but in the best way possible. Yeah, no, like it's, he's able to joke around and have the musical expertise to back it up. He's not just coming out and saying some like funny stuff. He's, he's coming out here. He's saying, he's speaking like real, he's like talking about real things that are going on, but he also is humorous with it. He does a very good job of like blending the humor with the seriousness. Oh yeah, like like in the what's the name of the one the doo-wop track off this one? Go cry on someone else's shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know, towards the end of it, you can kind of hear him say, you know, like I I I straighten my khakis for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he does stuff like that. He'll he'll talk about like yeah. So those those songs he's making fun of like the late fifties, early sixties type of sound because. 
I mean, I'm sure he obviously he lived that time period. He had to have heard that in real time and probably just got so sick of that type of music. Now, me personally, I absolutely love doo-wop. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite genres, but I can only imagine living in that time. Where you only had that's like doo-wop. Anytime you turn the radio on, that's the kind of music that, that there was and there was nothing else. So I could definitely see that being annoying at a certain point in history. He does a very good job of lampooning it. He he basically like gets it down. He has a good job of it. He does a good like the songs sound good. It sounds like doo wop, but then he's making fun of it. He's just taking something that he doesn't really like too much, does it well, and then basically like just a big middle finger, <laughs> f you kind of you know. Yeah, I absolutely love the fact that he can do that, and he just adds like little. I don't want to say sound bites. He, he just kind of adds his own little dialogue at the end, you know, talking. He, he, he makes himself out to be like this, just the stupid jockey teenager who's like only interest is being a teenager. He's like, oh, I, I, I stayed home all afternoon and I, I primered the right front fender and I, <laughs> all, all that stuff. I did the upholstery for the car and does all this stuff. It's, it's just all, so all unnecessarily detailed. Yeah. And then he even lampoons Frankie Valley with Wowie Zowie. One of the other tracks is sort of like a doo-woppy kind of thing. Does a all-around very, very good job on this album. And I think it's a very good start for him. He really inspired a lot of artists who were big at the time. Like He was an inspiration for the Beatles, for the Rolling Stones, for pretty much everybody that was in that time period. Like everybody, He was a musician's musician, and everybody knew it. Everybody wanted to sort of be like Frank. You know, Frank, was, but he, he had this, his own thing going. He didn't stick to norms, anything like that. He did exactly what he wanted to do. And it's a very admirable thing. I really appreciate that about Frank Zappa. Especially from a from a musician standpoint, because at that time period, especially during that early time period, you could do one of two things. You could basically conform to everyone else, do what the record labels tell you to do, or what you think is going to be hip and just to get like a, a quick cash grab and then, you know, not make another music or anything. Or you can sit back, listen to it, perfect it. And do your own interpretation of it. Perfecting is exactly what he was doing because it's not like he was just like some regular schmuck before he started doing the Mothers of Invention. He actually lived in a studio for a good period of time. Like I, I, I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what the situation surrounding it was. So uh, don't quote me on anything. He might, he might not have had a home. He might have been homeless at this at this point in time. I'm not entirely sure, but I know that he at a certain point before he got big. He was living in a recording studio. So that's all he was ever doing was just playing guitar, perfecting his craft, and you know, just just composing music. And when he when he finally joined the Mothers of Invention, or really just the the Mothers, like the Invention part came later. But when when he joined the Mothers, that's when he really came into his own. And at that point, he starts releasing more albums. Funny to, to mention, actually, when I said earlier about uh, your favorite artist, uh, the Beatles, remember when I said that? How, how could I forget? Yeah, yeah, remember, uh, that dude, Paul McCartney from this this band called the Beatles. You remember, <laughs> remember that band? So might have heard of them. Yeah, possibly. I'm not, I mean, they they weren't like the, the biggest thing, but like you might have heard of Paul McCartney from the Beatles. You know, so this dude, Paul McCartney. I actually don't even remember what I was going to say. I just remember you saying that you you really really like the Beatles, right? You oh, I uh, I adore the Beatles. Oh, okay. But anyway, this this dude Paul McCartney from the Beatles. He actually <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't remember what I was going to say. I was messing with you too much. It was it was pertaining to the the Beatles and Paul McCartney, how how it inspired. Oh, yeah. So anyway, the the Beatles and Paul McCartney. It's it's funny we mentioned that earlier because 
a few albums after he lampoons the very album that was inspired by freak out he does yeah. an album called we're only in it for, for the, the money. money and it's a direct ripoff of the sergeant pepper's uh, album, album cover. cover yeah and they did such a good job at parrying it like they i love it but my favorite part about it is how they not only parried it where it's the point where it's like okay we know what this we know what they're referencing but they did it not only accurately, but I love how not centered the photograph is. It's off center. It's just it's very strange. Like they what's 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 very cool about it is Jimi Hendrix is actually in the album cover. Did you know that? I did not. Jimi Hendrix is on the album cover for "We're Only in It for the Money." I don't know what he was doing there. I think I think they were friends actually. I think they were actually pretty close. I think he respected him as a musician. He didn't really he didn't like the drug use. Frank didn't like the drug use, but he doesn't like drug use anyway. But which is strange for someone so weird because you think that listening to his music they'd be like, oh, he's chock full of drugs. But no, nah, he he didn't like it. I I, I it's appreci- very surprising. It is, isn't it? Like especially from that time period. I, I actually appreciated that about him too because he you know he had a vision. Music was the main focus for him. That was like his biggest thing that he wanted to do was get all of his music out of his head. The stuff that he wanted to do, he did it. And he knew that doing drugs was not the way to go. He was never going to accomplish his goal if he was uh, if he did drugs heavy. And so he steered clear of that. I think it was noted that like occasionally he'd have a glass of wine. That's like the extent of what he would do. And uh, I, I appreciate like what I had mentioned earlier is like him not letting the rest of his bandmates do any any drugs or drinking either so just to stay as, as tight as possible yeah, it's, it's um james brown did the same thing he was very adamant how he wanted his music to sound and he was like you said a perfectionist mm-hmm. he wanted it to sound exactly how it was supposed to sound no hiccups or anything and each time a musician like messed up in the studio or something that he was playing with he would reduce their pay interesting so that way they were mentally like if I mess this up, I'm losing money. Yeah, type thing because he wanted nothing but the best work. I, I think Bootsy Collins was one of those people that he was in uh, that was in his band. I, I think like uh, I remember seeing something like that where Bootsy was talking about he had done like acid on stage or something like that, and <laughs> James James Brown like like freaked out on him like backstage, and he like he was freaking out because he was on acid and like just James Brown's face is like getting like yeah I can only imagine can you imagine James, James Brown yelling at you sweaty forehead like the like the <laughs> I'm the, real the <laughs> like the Wizard of Oz just oh my god directly into my face that's stuff of nightmares just James Brown yelling at you oh like, yeah no that would that would be it would be a triggering event I feel bad <laughs> stupid joke I'd be like I don't know if it was the acid but uh. I'm pretty sure James Brown was just yelling at me. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, no. Back to back to freak out. So I guess since you know more about them, do you do you know anything about the gaps in between their music, particularly when they released Burt Weenie Sandwich and uh, Weasel's Rip My Flesh in nineteen seventy and then they took like a five year gap? Well, basically, Frank went solo. That's that's the reason why it's every once in a while he he regrouped the mothers. But Frank never stopped. What, what's the one with the couch on it? That's uh, uh, one one size, one size fits, fits all. all. Yeah. So and that was seventy five. So that was five years after their previous two albums. Mm-hmm. So so Frank never really stopped going. He just kind of did his own thing, uh, occasionally regrouping the mothers. And so I believe like some of the albums that he has, like I think Overnight Sensation is Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, but not others are just Frank Zappa. Others uh, are just the mothership. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's kind of like uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. 
Because uh, Frank had other projects that he wanted to do. Like, he didn't want to do just stuff that was off of Freak Out. He didn't want to do just stuff that was off Apostrophe, which came later. I oh, know. He was he was very diligent. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and, uh, and diverse in terms of, of projects. He never wanted he never wanted to stick with just, just one yeah. project. It was finish this, go do something else. He was possibly come back to it. He was a composer. You know, he had, he had a lot of very big musical ideas that he couldn't accomplish with the a certain band. And he would, yeah, he would just, he would basically hire actual, like, big bands. Like, he, he would actually hire people, like, actual musicians to record symphonies, which I, I think is very admirable. He, I remember him talking on Letterman at one point, saying, like, he, it, it all came out of his own pocket. Like, he had to pay London Symphony Orchestra to play his music. And the difficulty there is, you know, you think of, like, an orchestra, they might be used to playing stuff that's like very very old like 200 years old they're playing Bach and Beethoven and stuff like that stuff that's been around for a while people can perfect it when they're when they're given like a new symphony a brand new piece of music people are going to get it wrong a little bit and i remember him mentioning that he had to go back in and fix as many notes as he possibly can as he possibly could and he said that the finished product is about 85% what he had thought of and i thought that was very interesting to note because what exactly else was going on in his head that didn't get onto the album that wasn't played correctly? You know what yeah. I mean? It, it makes me want to actually like hear... what else? What else was missing? Yeah, exactly. Like wh- how how complete can we get this record historically? Exactly. Versus like what it came out to be. Exactly. Like where's the missing tapes, auditions, you know, uh, former lyrics or notes, et cetera, like that. Just as much as we physically physically can know about this album and how it was supposed to turn out. Versus how it did turn out, you know, what's similar, what's different, you know, just get, getting on that that mm-hmm. path. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's 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 very crazy to imagine him as a composer. That's exactly what he is. Like I, he's like a modern day Beethoven. To be in my in my own opinion, I really feel like he is on that level music music wise because he he did well beyond one specific genre of music. He he just continued to do exactly what he wanted to do in different genres did them very very well i mean he does jazz too and his jazz out he has one i love the i love the name of the album it's called jazz from hell and it's it's just absolutely amazing it's not any kind of jazz that you and i would think of it's it's not your typical miles davis john coltrane kind of stuff this is very very strange i can't even describe it in words you would just have to go and listen to it there's like so many different types of instruments in and this album that like you it wouldn't be in like a normal kind of jazz album yeah so i, w- I definitely recommend go checking it out i will say upon first listen people probably won't like it it's e- even for me uh it was kind of hard to get into zappa in in general was hard for me it's, to get into yeah yeah like like you're more into zappa th- than i am i'm still kind of like very fresh into this but from what i've heard i can tell that like if i listened to this earlier i wouldn't have liked it mm-hmm. and the reason why i haven't gotten into it yet is because it's not super like what i would normally listen to but after listening to it a few times you really start to see like oh my god wow like this was 19 this is the late 60s that yeah. we're talking about like little did we know what it would become exactly just to to hear his little nuances is something i really appreciate like these little easter eggs of like kind of jokes and stuff like that that uh he'll he'll place into the songs into the live tracks and everything and it's really things that like you're not gonna get the first time i've noticed that like as uh i i so i've been slowly getting into him over the past like maybe five or six years or so i remember 
my dad trying to show me some uh, songs by him when I was younger and I just could not get into it at the time. I think you really need to like mature a little bit to even like appreciate it. And it's kind of like an earworm. I remember like rehearing another song and I'm like, oh, you know what? I kind of really like that. And then I just like dive deep into his discography. Yeah. And, you know, certain things I did have to listen to multiple times, but I gained something from it every single time I listened to it. Like there's just like little jokes here and there. One of my favorite albums by him is called Sheik Your Booty. And it's an album from, I think, like, 78, 79 or so. So many little, like, jokes within the album. Uh, my favorite track on that one is called Flakes. And right in the middle, he has somebody do this, like, almost perfect Bob Dylan impression. I, I, I can't, I'm not, I'm not going to do it right now, obviously. I'd be awful at it. But uh, he, just, he just throws, like, these lampoons in there and, like, all these, like, little jokes and everything. Like, it's just Make, making fun of musicians at that. Like that, we're still in the same time period as him, which is even funnier because it's like a classmate kind of like joking around. Yeah, exactly. Just poking it's, fun it's like at we you. were in the same graduating class. Yeah, you know? I mean everybody makes fun of Dylan. It's really easy to make fun of Dylan. It's but... very, it's very easy to make fun of Dylan. But even, it, but it, it's, I'd put him up there with Dylan in terms of like huge impact on not just rock and roll but music in general oh for sure but not really musicianship acclaimed to like what they should be i i kind that, of if, if that makes sense i kind of understand what you're saying are you saying sort of like along the lines of like they're they're on the same totem pole as like huge musicians just because of like the like the impact that they've had but zappa being more because his musicianship is better than dylan's is that what is that kind of what you're saying oh no i'm saying like they're both on the like what we're saying with the totem pole like they're on the same spectrum mm -hmm. of it but i feel like no one really they're they're not as high up on that totem pole as they should be like okay they, they should be higher up on there they've had quite a a, a cultural impact with just because they go against the norm that's that's yeah. really what it is and you know i, I kind of appreciate that i kind of i kind of like having artists that are like that that kind of go because because they know they're not going to be as big i mean zappa it takes a while for people to get into and that's probably why he's not as big but i i feel like he's just as honestly no i'm not even gonna say just as good he's he's better than most guitarists that came out of that time period i think he is like the like he's he's a very stylized player. He he knows his instrument well, and he has a very good imagination. He's actually said this in an interview before. He's not practicing each solo before he goes on stage. He he knows what he's doing with his guitar, and when he has time to fill for an actual solo, he will just come up with something that just blends so well into that you, you wouldn't even know exactly. So you're getting a different solo, where you Basically were you were getting time. a different solo every single time you went to go see Frank Zappa. I, I, I wish I was alive when uh, I wish he was still alive. Basically, I wish I was you know around back when he was touring. And yeah, because he because he he died relatively young. He was what? like 50-something. I think yeah. he was only in his mid-50s. So, yeah, a, a very, very... And 30 of it dedicated to music. His, his craft, yeah. It was, that's that's absolutely insane. And I, I love that he was able to do that. I think it's crazy that he didn't do drugs, but prostate cancer is the one thing that took him out. That's such a shame, dude. Imagine, like, actually, like, just taking care of your health and, like, still... Just and, you did, st and you still end up dying. That's so sad. It's, it reminds me of that one... Oh, my... I forget his name. But there's a joke in it where he's like, he's like uh, smoking a cigarette on stage and he's like, you know why I smoke? He's like, because non-smokers die every day. <laughs> and he's like, think about that on your car ride home. Wait, who was that? Bill. Bill Hicks? Bill Hicks. Bill That's, Hicks. Yeah, okay. Bill Hicks. I know who you're talking about. 
Yeah. And then, uh, and then I can hear the way he says it too. And then in that same one, he talks about, he's like, oh, you know, if you don't, he's like, if you don't like drugs or alcohol, he's like, he's like, I want you to do me a favor. It's like, I want you to go home, take all your te- tapes and burn these records and burn them. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Tool Tool uses that clip on uh, one of their tracks yeah. on Third Eye. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that was the that was around the time that he passed away. Mm-hmm. And they um they actually in the um the sleeve art they have like a picture of him doing like a using like a bone saw on like a cadaver. Okay. Because they because they they all really liked him. I think they described him on the album as like just another dead hero. Damn, that's interesting. Yeah. Would you would you lump uh, Bill Hicks into the Frank Zappa category as like a like like comedy wise? I, I feel like they had like similar views on the world and stuff. Yeah, know? yeah, especially with like uh, drug and alcohol use, um, humor, because uh, that that's one thing that really stood out with like Frank Zappa with me. Like when I think of Frank Zappa, I think of besides just the music, the comedy element mm-hmm. of it, because it's not a comedy record. It's not meant to be funny mm-hmm. but it's funny exactly he he takes himself seriously but not too seriously exactly it's 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 a uh, his music is kind of like leslie nielsen he's a serious actor that doesn't know that he's in a serious film yeah yeah exactly he's, he's that, a, that, not, that, he's that's a, a good comedy. way to describe it yeah I, I i like that analogy yeah yeah uh well i think i think now is a good time to wrap it up i think we've been talking about this for uh a pretty decent amount of time yeah since so i think we covered everything so far yeah definitely so let me do the thank yous uh, thank you for listening to Fantastic Classics, everyone out there. If, if you'd like to hear more, we drop a new episode every Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and pretty much everywhere that you get your podcasts. Fantastic Classics is recorded at CSB Media Arts Center in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Our intro and outro music is done by my friend Ryan Loader, and our logo was done by my friend Geneva Zetmeyer. You can find Ryan's band Dead Season on Spotify, Apple Music, and other streaming services, and on his Instagram, at DeadSeasonNJ. And you can find Geneva's art on Instagram, at ArtGarbage. That's it for this episode. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.